Hello and welcome back to Diary of a Dropout with me, Naomi Balderson. Today we are doing my first ever interview with Ben Bannum, who is a AI and data consultant, but also a spiritual queenie like myself. So I'm going to be chatting to Ben today about his ayahuasca trip, feminine and masculine energies, AI, the gym, fitness, ego lifting, how he came to drop out because of course that is a prerequisite for coming on Dive or Drop Out. Yeah, hey. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for allowing me to be here, Naomi. It's a pleasure. Um, I'm a fellow dropout, uh, so I thought, hey, you know, I'm an avid listener as well. Why don't I just go see if I can share my story on the podcast? I love talking, I love presenting, and uh, see if people can have uh, some resonate with it a little bit. Um, so could you just give like a whistle stop kind of tour of your life? And obviously as a prerequisite for coming on the podcast, you have to have dropped out something. So <laughs> what did you drop out of? And can you tell me the story kind of behind that? Yeah, of course. So I'm a dropout of university, like your good self. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, it was a bit of an intense ride, honestly. So it all started uh, when I was back at home throughout college, uh, Victoria College, where I went here, based in Jersey. And I don't know, I felt quite restricted, a little bit claustrophobic. Um, I didn't really do too much. I was kind of like one of the in-betweener kids, you know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. kind of on the, um, I guess, you know, if you're talking high school standards on the geekier side, but it wasn't necessarily on the popular side. I was kind of stuck in between. So I didn't really get mm. involved in too much. Mm. I was like, you know what? I'm going to university now. Um, but I don't know. It didn't feel like you got a lot of choice, mm. if I'm being honest. Sometimes, I don't know how it is right now, so I can't speak for right now. But back in the day when I was at college, it basically was like, you're going to go to university or you're on your own. Mm. And everyone else is going to university and they're all hyping it up. And um, my parents, oh, yeah, brilliant. Go to university. I'm so proud of you. I go to university. I was like, oh, my God. Now's my chance to really make something of myself. And I was like, okay, let's go to university. Not necessarily because deep down that's what I wanted to do, but it's what other people's expectations of me were. And they're all, school was promoting it. My parents were promoting it. All my friends were going. It's like, well, clearly I've got to go myself. So. I enrolled for university. I was pretty good at sort of uh, biology, chemistry. Those are my things. So I was like, you know what? I like science. I like puzzles. I'm going to go for forensic science. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's CSI. Yeah. I'm one of those big boiler suits, scraping up bones, doing blood splatters, all that sort of stuff. I was like, Look, that's cool. That's going to be a cool job. Uh, and I still think it is a cool yeah. job, honestly. But it wasn't necessarily what's for me. And since I felt so claustrophobic just through my parents, you know, being a little bit restrictive and what I've been able to do um, I was like well I'm gonna go to university and I'm gonna make Ben 2.0 I mean you're going over to you UK yeah yeah <laughs> and I was like well no one knows me yeah I don't know anyone that's going to the same university from Jersey yeah so I can just be a brand new person Do you know what I mean and so I was like well that's gonna be my motive went over there and uh, I actually I had a house share right I yeah. didn't actually have a uni halls or anything like that um, and I was living with two guys, Eddie and Pedro, really good guys, got on them really well. And um, yeah, they was like, the first time I got there, unpacked everything, I was like, oh mate, we're going tomorrow night, or it might be tonight, we're going down to the club, the old firehouse, 
It was literally like an old converted firehouse. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Uh, and it was like, come down fresh as week. That's where you can meet everyone and stuff like that. It's like, okay, going to do it. Perhaps you've done it yourself, yeah. right? Uh, carnage. Yeah. Uh, like two pound Jaeger bombs, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and when you're a student, you're like, whoa, bloody hell. <laughs> yeah, like. especially coming from Jersey, you're like, oh my God. Oh <laughs> my God. I mean, I just turned 18. Yeah. I was kind of on the younger side of the year. Mm. I'm a little July baby. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was kind of the youngest in the whole year. So basically just turned 18. Uh, and then just two months later, I'm going off to university free reign do you know what I mean no mm. parents mm. no one looking after you no one looking over your shoulder telling you what you got to do oh you got to clean this oh you got to do that whatever yeah. I'll do whatever I want and so I did whatever I want <laughs> I went out I made a lot of friends in this sort of um, I guess sort of clubbing scene a lot of friends and freshers weeks all that sort of stuff but when I went to my classes one I was a little bit tired um, two I fell back into Ben 1.0 and when I talk about that is we kind of a recluse back into myself. Mm. And when I wasn't on that sort of party scene, uh, I didn't feel very comfortable connecting with other people. Mm. And when you go to university in the first few weeks, I think it's pretty crucial. You've got to make some friends. Yeah. Otherwise, everyone finds their little groups. Yeah. They go off. And I just felt rather isolated. I didn't mm. make any good friends. Mm. So I uh, had good friends in my house yeah. and I, you know, who I went out with. But in actual class, yeah. not so much. Not so much. So... Um, yeah, it didn't make me feel very comfortable going to class, especially when people crept up in groups. Mm. Um, I wasn't included in the groups, or at least I didn't have the confidence to put myself out to put into groups. Yeah. Um, when it came to speaking in the seminars, especially when someone, you know, the, the lecturer would actually point at you, say, hey, Ben, what do you think about that? Uh, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And everyone's like looking at you like, bloody hell, who's this kid? Yeah, no wonder I haven't picked him in my group. Do you know what I mean? At least yeah. that's what I thought. Mm. At least that's what I thought. I don't know if they're actually thinking about that. Uh, but that was going through in my head. So eventually it got to the point where I didn't do anything in my school uh, mm. or uni work. Did the bare minimum. Uh, and then I just continued to go out and have a good time with all my friends. Mm. It was basically like a year's holiday, honestly. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I'm not proud of it, but I went to a variety of different banks took out loads of different overdrafts because mm. I spent all my money, uh, bought loads of fancy clothes because I'm going out, I've got to look my best. I? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and then in my all of my naivety, uh, I failed my uh, end of year exam, of mm. course, rather drastically because it did no other work. Um, and since, you know, my parents aren't well off at all uh, and they had to get a government grant Mm. Uh, where you know they're happy to continue to pay it as long as you get the grades necessary to progress on to the next year. Now my grade was not good enough, clearly. I had to retake the first year, so I could have stayed at university, yeah. but we just couldn't afford to do it. Yeah. So. How much do you think that like alcohol influenced that first year of uni, or how much do you think that was just coming from like potentially a restrictive background and mm. then going into that? Like mm. how? Like how much did alcohol play a part? Like if it didn't exist, do you think it would have gone differently? Or like, mm. how was your social life? Kind of yeah, it's an inquisitive question, that one. And uh, I think honestly, it started because I had that restricted atmosphere back here at home, going to university, having complete free reign. Mm. Then because of that free reign and that free choice that I had to do whatever I want, I went into the sort of party scene because that's where everyone went in the freshest week and mm. that's where I had the best time and I started feeling more comfortable. Yeah, honestly. and it's so like centered around alcohol at uni yeah, as like yeah. a way to connect with other human beings because you're all put in this like crazy oh place. That you're just in a new city where you don't know anyone. You're living with strangers Completely. and it's like alcohol is a lifeline for everyone it, and yeah. that's just seen as so like normalized. Very, very. It's like just allowing everyone to relax and gel together. Mm. Um, you know, it's just kind of allowing to relax 
um, and actually just break a few confidence barriers, yeah. especially that's what I had. You know, mm. I didn't really want to talk to anyone and yeah. say 10.1.0 is a little bit of a recluse. And the image I had of 2.0 looked good in my head, but honestly, I couldn't really do it without the alcohol yeah. um, and everyone else being on alcohol as well. You know, it kind of allowed everyone to just let their guard down a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So... Yeah, it's a nice combination of both, I think. Mm. Um, and this, this, the restrictive attitude, um, this made me just not really care about mm. the consequences. I was a little bit young, a little bit naive. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And then you came back to Jersey? Yeah, so after failing miserably at university, came back with my tail between my legs. And uh, yeah, that commenced one of the sort of lowest and darkest points of my entire life, honestly. But, uh, you know, in hindsight, we love about hindsight, um, <laughs> is actually my formative years. Mm. There's the catalyst that allowed me to catapult myself into the man that I hold myself to today. Um, but what happened was came back and everyone was like, looking at you like, oh, you know, you big yourself up when you go yeah. down. Like, yeah, I'm going to be CSI. I'm going to be proper analyst. I'm going to be doing all my uni degree. You know what? I might even do a master's. I'll be a doctor. I'll do a PhD. PhD you see, mum, don't worry about it. I'll be coming back with all these certificates. Get your hat now for the graduation. <laughs> it's coming. Um, but clearly that didn't happen. You come back and your mum and dad are looking at you like, oh, okay, what's happened here then? And you have to fess up. Uh, you know, all your grandparents are like, oh, bloody hell, what's going mm. on? You've got no mates mm. because they're, they're all still all at uni. uni. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're sat here at home with people that you don't really want to hang around mm. with. But, you know, they're, they're there. Got a couple of really good friends who didn't go to university. They're my lifeline, thank goodness. Um, so I hanged out with those guys. Um, but yeah, it was really tough. And, you know, I took out those overdrafts got them some loans and I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll just give them my uni address. <laughs> so I was like, they're not going to find me. Right? I'm just going to just retreat into Jersey. <laughs> Little did I know, of course, they found me. They of always course, find they, they always find me. And it was about sort of like six months. I was mm. like, yeah, I'm scot-free here. And so I got an email, or pardon me, a letter through a post box from Nat West. And it's like big red text saying, this is overdue. Um, there is interest now incurring on your account. I was like, oh my God. I came back. And since I was like, you know, pretty, very down. I don't want to say depressed because I don't know about that I wasn't mm. any sort of diagnosed but I was very down mm. very low uh, confidence was completely shattered um, so therefore I wasn't really working mm. because I didn't have the confidence you, know, mm. you, gotta be, you don't have the self esteem yeah. yeah to put yourself out there and find a job so I was on social benefits for about nearly a year mm. after I dropped out of university um, I didn't really do much at all mm. um, I was getting all these letters through the door people ringing me up saying I owed thousands of pounds uh, my mother was liable for paying back the tuition fees for the first year, which you know she was struggling with, and I felt extremely guilty about mm. that, and I had to help out with that. So, all in all, I think it was like near ten thousand pounds plus in mm. debt, and that was continued to accrue interest the longer I was yeah. not paying that off. Um, and for someone who's dropout and on social benefits, mm. just getting enough to kind of get me enough money to pay my food or whatever. Yeah. Uh, my stepdad was not happy with me whatsoever. He's like, look. If you're going to be here and you drop out of uni, you're an adult now because mm. you're not a student. So therefore, you're paying me rent or as you're getting out on the street. And you're that brutal. Mm. I was like, oh, my God. I've got all these people just hassling me. I'm like, confidence shook. I can't do anything. Really, really low point in my life. And, uh, yeah, I was struggling tremendously with that. But what happened was, as I okay, two things. One, I need a job. 
right, that was clear cut. I need to get some money and I can't be sitting on benefits for the entirety of my whole life. Mm. That was not the life I envisioned myself at all. So what I did was I said, right, what can I do with pretty much no grades and I can just pretty much get a, a job? I thought, what about the army? Mm. I'm going to sign up and be a soldier. I feel like that's the default for so many boys. Like if mm. they're just like, I don't know what to do, they're like, the army's always there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My biological dad, I don't I haven't seen him in a very long time. He's been completely estranged to me. Don't have a relationship to him. But he was in the army. He was a he was a paratrooper. And I was like, okay, I was still at that point in my time where I was basically admiring my father. I was clinging to him, mm. a little bit desperate to recognize him to recognize me. Moved past that, forgiven that, integrated that into my being now, so that's fine. But back at the time, I was really craving that. I was like, oh, you know what? If I go in the army, maybe mm. he might recognize me then. Oh, mm. he used to be a soldier. Do you know what I mean? We've got that in common. Mm. And it gets me a job. Over. It gets me out of the house. Yeah. Ticks all the boxes. <laughs> Little Diana, I'll probably get my head shot off or my leg blown off. Do you know what I mean? It'll go <laughs> yeah, into a not... war that I wasn't actually interested in fighting. Mm. But that wasn't my main priority at the time. Mm. So I signed up. Uh, and I actually went to the UK and did all the medical tests. I went to the barracks, did the interviews, everything like that. Um, and what's happened is I actually came back and they provided me with an offer letter to join. Uh, so you can be a recruit in the, uh, in the uh, rifles, basically in the infantry department. I was like, oh my God. All the meanwhile, what happened was if I was claiming my social benefits, I had to go to this scheme called Advanced to Work. Right? I don't know if it's still here in Jersey, but um, essentially you have to prove that you're looking for work to get your social benefits. Right? So you go to this, it's like once a week or whatever, and they help you write your CVs, they get you interviews and all that sort of stuff. And I was just basically doing it so I could get some cash basically. <laughs> but they help me write my CV. They're lovely people, extremely helpful, and they put me in front of uh, Standard Bank, and they got me an interview down there. And pretty much the same day or two, I got the offer letter from the army saying, hey, come in for basic training, be a soldier. And then the next day or two, I got an email saying, we want to interview at Standard Bank. And there was a life choice point at that moment. Mm, I was like, like right. fork in the road. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Parallel universe, I might have been a soldier, mate. Who yeah. knows? I don't know. But this existence, <laughs> I chose the standard bank path. Mm. Thank goodness. And uh, I went for the interview. I was extremely nervous. I was like, what have I got to lose? Managed to land the job mm. with all my disbelief. And uh, I progressed on with the rest of my career from that point. Um, so that was kind of like a little bit of a intense journey mm. of... Um, holding myself to high esteem, going to university, completely trashing it, and then coming back and being in this hole and have to claw my way out mm. a little bit. And yeah. what what was the turning point? Like, was there something that happened from the point where you were so low in, like, your self-esteem and that, like, downward spiral of, like, the benefits, the unemployment? Like, what was the thing that made you be like, right, I need to get my shit together? Like, time yeah. to, like, you know, yeah. Come on. Well, I tell you what, it was that first job mm. because as soon as I got the job, I went in and I was like, right, I've uh, completely fucked up my life. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to need to pull up my pants, tighten my belt, so to speak, mm -hmm. and just crack on and make something of myself here because, you know, I don't want a life uh, where I'm feeling that low ever again. Mm. You know, I got to that rock bottom that was so tough that that's given me the vigor and the strength to really grit my teeth and mm. make something of myself mm. so when i went into that job i was like i'm gonna give this everything i've got mm. because this is my one and only chance right i consider it my yeah. one and only and chance how, how old were you like by this time you i was about 20 yeah just probably just about 20 years old yeah. uh, that's quite young to to be like i fucked up my life yeah yeah <laughs> and perhaps you know uh you know you could say well you're so young you know you didn't do mm. it 
And hey, I'm just about to turn 30. It's been 10 years. What a wild ride. And I didn't fuck up my life. Don't mm. worry about it. It's mm. come to a lovely conclusion and it continues to get more and more beautiful. But at that point in time, that's what that's really what gave me the strength mm. to carry on. And what happened is, um, you know, people are uh, rec- recognize me because of my red bushy beard. Do you know what I mean? It's an iconic feature yeah. of mine. However, it's got an origin story. Did you know? Because, I didn't. Go on. Okay. Tell, so tell. it all started when I got my first job and I went in there and I was like, right, I'm just a 20-year-old uni dropout. And I did not want people to think that was my image. I mm. wanted people to think of me as a, a man. Do you know what I mean? Not just a crippled little boy, mm. um, which honestly which I was, but I had to portray this image of being stronger. So mm. I basically stopped shaving. Yeah. <laughs> and I just kind of grew a little bit of a beard. It was uh, back in the 20s, uh, my 20s, it was a little bit shorter, a little bit scruffier. I went for a bit of a hobo phase, but I was like, look, I'm going to stop this and just stick it through so I can, uh, I don't know, it makes you look a little more mature, you know, um, especially as a guy, uh, maybe look older than I was, mm. you know. Uh, I always went into work with a proper suit and tie. Mm. And I grew all my facial hair out. I was like, Look, I'm going to try and make myself as mature and as strong looking as possible to yeah. portray that image that people would give me a little bit of respect and recognition and not just mm. going to be this boy who kind of turned up in sloppy clothes and, you know, being downtrodden. And, you know, I was really trying to just lift my chest up and just walk in with yeah. you know, proud and really show people that I meant business and you know, how, this time. How do you think that linked to like your idea of masculinity at mm. the time? Like, do you think you were trying to fulfill? a certain type of masculinity in that role yeah or yeah. or was it kind of just like a this is who i need to be to be successful kind of thing yeah i mean i went i think i went like almost uber macho mm. um because that's what i think gave me um that sense of strength mm. uh, and determination to just really pull myself out of that pit um eventually i've come to realize we'll get onto a little bit later that i ended up being too masculine mm. and that there is a balance in mm. all beings of course uh, and there's a lovely nurturing feminine side which is still present within men and mm. there's also a lovely masculine side present within all mm. women as well you mm. know so there's a nice balance and equilibrium that needs to be struck but i think just having that masculine drive really mm. just punched me out of that yeah, hole yeah but then i had to do some work to integrate more feminine mm. aspects of my uh, being a little mm. bit later on in the past yeah so um all the meanwhile um you know as part of that image that i was trying to portray to myself i started going to the gym and uh, honestly that is one of the best decisions i've made in my life one of my key three big decisions i can get into the three if you want it a little bit later but that was one of the three is starting my fitness journey mm. um, because that gave me so much more vigor in my own being i felt yeah. stronger had more energy mm. um you know i've got sort of uh, larger muscles always kind of been like a little scrawny kid but as soon as you start packing on a little bit of muscle as a guy and you've got yeah. these facial hair growing you're wearing your suits and all that <laughs> sort of stuff like whoa little bit like <laughs> superman do you know what i mean walking around that gave yeah. me that confident radiant mm. energy that i needed uh, to really move forward in my life however when i started my fitness journey it's all centered around uh, just the typical bodybuilding image mm. do you know what i mean i wanted to just be this huge guy like proper ripped you know mm. abs everything like that huge bias you know just as you were as a 20 year old kid because mm. that's what you think what the perfect uh fitness image or aesthetic mm. is <laughs> i found out it's not mm. uh kind of the hard way um i went and trained you know religiously at the gym i was eating just you know all your chicken and rice and broccolis you know what i mean all that sort of stuff meticulously tracking all of my mm. calories um 
and uh, I ended up getting involved in uh, Psalms. You ever heard of those? No. So SARM stands for Selective Androgen Receptor Modulators, and it effectively is like legal steroids. Mm. Do not touch them, by the way. If you're listening to this, <laughs> stay right away from SARMs because they are toxic, mate. It's not good. It's a good, it's a good way to make some really quick gains. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I turned into a monster. <laughs> uh, uh, my motto was eat as much as possible, lift as heavy as possible. Mm. And that's all I did whilst taking these Psalms. And I turned into a bit of a beast. And I was super strong. I was mm. really big. Um, but at the same time, it shook my hormonal balance. Yeah. And I was naive enough to not provide myself the aftercare coming off on the cycle. Mm. Um, my testosterone hit rock bottom. I pretty much lost most of the gains that I got yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah, it was quite a catastrophe, really. Um, and that, again, that sort of brought, you know, the lack of the testosterone, hormonal mm. imbalance really plays with your mood and your uh, sort of you know, feel really down, really low, all yeah. that sort of stuff. So that did not help me at all. So I learned the hard way that that was not what it's all about. Mm. However, I'm skipping forward a little bit and progressing my fitness journey. Now it's got to a point where I don't care what my body image looks like. Mm. I really don't. However, my body image is a result of the work that I put into it. Mm. The body's made to move, mm. right? It is made to move. We're natural beings. We're supposed to be out there moving around, doing all this sort of stuff. But however, we've got a sedentary lifestyle yeah. and people sit in their offices, doing their jobs, all this sort of stuff. And we've had to make gyms, yeah. right? That's a creation. <laughs> I, know, I think that's uh, time, Which yeah. is crazy, right? Because yeah. our bodies are supposed to be out there, active, lifting stuff, looking for stuff, yeah. whatever. We don't do it anymore. No. So what I've got to do is pay respect and homage to my body and look after it. Mm. You know, I've got this gift of this lovely body, allow me to move in this world, do different things, interact with things. And it's my duty, mm. I think, to look after it. And it comes with going into the gym, doing some light cardio exercises, some nice stretching, some weight lifting. It's mm. good to have the strength. Yeah, and the resistance. Yeah, yeah. exactly. There's three key pillars in terms of fitness in my respect. You've got strength, you've got uh, endurance, which is like your cardio, mm. how far can you go, and you've got your flexibility. Mm. So I focus my fitness on the strength, endurance, and flexibility, those three pillars, as long as I cover them up, mm. whatever I look like at the end of that, I don't really care yeah. because I've got a nice, healthy, good-feeling body. And how did you get from that point of like, so you've done the test cycle and you've come off, mm. the hormones are shot, mm. like you've lost your gains. Mm -hmm. What happened for you to change the way that you train and the way that you think about training? to get to that point of self-love and acceptance. Yeah, yeah, it's been a journey over many years. And um, it was one, stop the ego lifting, mm. honestly, because I would just think that, oh, I'm going in here, I'm doing my bench presses, for example. I used to press 80 kilograms. And if I go in the next day, I need to do at least 80 or 85 and keep pushing the barriers. But yeah. sometimes you've got to realize, depending on your day, mm. your emotional well-being, mm. your nutrition, stuff like that, you might not be able to continue to push how uh, sort of how heavy you've been doing previously. So it's giving yourself some reassurance. Hey, I can drop back to 65, do a little bit lighter one today. Yeah. You know, maybe my central nervous system is a little bit shook. I can't push it as hard as I can, but at least I'm coming to the gym. I'm making yeah. the movements and doing the resistance. I'm just saying, hey, don't worry about it. You know, just do what feels natural and comfortable for mm. you. Don't push it so hard mm. um, that you end up breaking yourself a little yeah. bit. Or much worse, you give yourself guilt. Yeah. As I look at this, oh God, I'm weak. Right? Yeah. Oh God, you know, oh, I can't make it. You know, oh, worthless. What's the point? Oh mm. my God, you're regressing. Those thoughts go whizzing around your head. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, that's not healthy for you whatsoever. I think like 
for me like training has been such an integral part of my life mm. that like now I've been like okay I've been training for like two years now and I've like oh, I need something to work towards because I'm like I'm just going to be doing the same program for the rest of my life like mm. I need and I hate running so I don't run and I need to but like I'm like okay I'm going to do a bulk but I'm like why I don't I don't need to do that like, there's literally no it's just something that I can like be like oh yeah so I can lift heavier yeah and then like I'll do a cut in summer but I'm like what's the point like I don't know I'm just thinking like there's no end goal so how did you switch mm. your mindset from like there's an end goal mm -hmm. and there's an end physique that I want to end up with yeah. to being like, this is me, this is my natural form. Because mm -hmm. I do think, like personally, I think that like, yes, you can build muscle. Yes, you can like lose body weight, but our genetics play such a huge part. And like right. people are just naturally built like how mm -hmm. they're built. Mm -hmm. And it's, you can't be consistently, I feel like a lot of people in the industry are consistently fighting against their genetics and eating crazy food mm. or like eating way little food. Mm. And instead they'd probably just look better if they just accepted how they look. Honestly, yeah, I think you're quite right. And it's just saying, you know, whatever I do, as long as I go into the gym, I look after myself um, and, you know, respect my body and, and not push it too hard and do what I need to do whatever my resulting image I look like is what I'm gonna be looking mm. like. Before you're saying, yeah, I'm gonna be on bulks and cuts and all mm. those cycles, which I was into as well. Um, but then, yeah, you say, where's the end? Yeah. Do you know what I mean, where are you gonna to get to the perfect physique, yeah. right? And, and you're just constantly fighting for, for a physique that might not even be attainable for you. Precisely, yeah. And you're just always gonna be looking that one or two steps ahead and mm. not being present and being right here, right now, where that's where all the power is mm. and that's where all the peace is uh, and, yeah it just draws you out of being here mm. you know what i mean and it, it just makes you always want more mm. and if you always want more you've never happy with what you've got mm. you know what i mean and you know whenever you go and get to the image that you want then there's always something deeper that you want yeah. like, oh, i want to be even stronger i want to mm. be even leaner i want to be mm. even more lifting even more you know what i mean there's always more there's yeah. always more and it's like well hold on a minute if I'm going to be truly at peace and happy and one with myself, I need to be happy and accept how I am right now. Mm. And then I can move on from that point, you know, mm. rather than just striving for something else. Yeah. And I also feel like training for some people and including myself at times have been like, oh yeah, like I'm doing this thing that's really good for me. I'm eating this food, like I'm tracking, whatever. And it's kind of, I think personally, and I've seen it in other people, used as like a distraction from doing the actual work and mm. doing like the actual self work and like even career things because you're like, I'm doing this productive yeah. thing. And then I think people get obsessed with it because it, they feel like it's the only thing they can control mm -hmm. properly. Mm -hmm. um, so where have we got to in life? You're working at Standard Bank. Yeah, let's uh, have a little rewind because yeah. obviously that finished journey has gone through the entirety of my life and it yeah. still continues to grow. But yeah, whizzing back a little bit, started Standard Bank and um, how I got into the job I am right now, my current position is I'm a data and AI consultant um, with a fantastic organization called Continuum here in Jersey. Um, but how I got involved in that without any university degree or any experience in that respect is uh, I think rather interesting. So I basically started at Standard Bank 
and I started in a project management office. So I was basically like the office junior, making everyone cups of teas, going and getting all their bacon rolls, going with them in their meetings, taking all the notes for them, writing up all the minutes, making everyone's presentations, just kind of scooping up all of the little jobs that no one wanted to do. Because I had to start somewhere mm. and I was just happy to do it. I was like, thank God I've got a job and people respect me, they mm. look after me here, you know, they treat me well, better than I was used to anywhere else, you know, at home or whatever. Um, so I was just happy to be there, I wasn't complaining. However, through my role, I got offered the opportunity to join what's called the Continuous Improvement Team. And I was like, okay, yeah, fine, I'm up for anything, I'll give it a go. And part of my responsibility in that team was I had to go around all the different bank uh, departments and uh, go sit with people and map out their processes, right? So let's say, for example, I'm in the finance department and there's an accounting process that one someone's doing and they've got to sit there and I've got to use Microsoft Visio. Have you used that? like a flow chart looking bit program maybe it's a bit old i don't know uh, but essentially i'd say like right this person does this then the next step is that then there's a decision here then it goes to this team and i'd put it on like a flow chart from left to yeah. right so i could see bird's eye view every single step that's happening in the process and then it allowed us to identify bottlenecks or inefficiencies or duplicated effort in the process uh, and then we could streamline it right yeah. that's the whole point however what i noticed was there's a lot of steps in excel Right, mm -hmm. so someone would go in, they'd copy and paste this, they'd do the pivot table here, they'd put some formulas in, they'd do a VLOOKUP, whatever it was. And then someone, right, at the end, was probably doing exactly the same step all over again, what the hell is going on here? So I was like, okay, surely there's gotta be a way to sort this out. And there's a consultant that was there um, who's kind of popped over my shoulders, hey Ben, how you doing, mate? He's like, oh, yeah, good, good. Uh, what are you doing here? So like, oh, I just got this Visio chart, he had a look at it. He's like, oh, there's all these Excel steps, did you know? You could probably just code that. You could just automate that for them. I was like, what? So yeah, you ever heard of VBA? It stands for Visual Basic for Applications, right? I'm going to get a little techie here, but it's just <laughs> like a coding language for Excel, right? And then he said, look, I'll show you a couple of different lines of code, whatever. He showed me how to copy and paste, whatever. And then I was like, wow, that's fascinating. Because essentially he wrote just a few lines of code and then all I had to do was press the play button and it yeah. did everything automatically. Someone had took an hour to do that. I could do it in a few seconds mm. because I coded it all up. So I was fascinated by this. I was like, wow, okay, this is really fun, honestly. And I went on Google and I taught myself, just by Google searching, how do I do XYZ in VBA? Mm. Look online, copy it out of there, paste it in, and then change it to be relative to what I was looking at. And uh, I eventually ended up sort of building Visual Basic code for all of these processes and start automating all. Mm. Uh, and uh, went back to the people, I was like, yeah, so I, I mapped out your process and I've just automated it for you. Mm. I was like, what? Yeah, so you go in this Excel file, you find the macro, you press play and it does it for you, job done. And they're like, whoa, bloody hell, what the hell is this? They weren't expecting that. It was helping me to sort of identify the processes mm. and maybe chop out a few different people from the process, whatever it might be. They were not expecting that. Yeah. Um, and that caught some attention. Yeah. And they're like, whoa, what? hold on a minute this this guy in project team what yeah. the hell is he doing that and the it team are like hold on a minute you know that's kind of our job yeah yeah uh, did you did you face like when you've been like automating things and making things easier for people sometimes people don't want their jobs yeah, to be easier because right. they feel attached to the amount of work and effort mm -hmm. that they put in yeah. and i feel like it's a really interesting concept like with old tricks and things like sometimes people actually don't want that yeah you're and right. how how are you able to like deal with that like i feel like i would take that as like rejection mm, yeah some <laughs> like people are, are some people are some people ever just like no nah, i'm all right some people are like that yeah <laughs> some people are 
Um, however, some others are not because mm. they're so over encumbered with mm. their current workload that you come in and say, look, I'm going to take this hour process you're trying to do all the time that stresses you out. Mm. And I do it in a few seconds. They're like, hallelujah. Thank mm. you so much because now I can crack on. Yeah. And just do the rest of my work because they're staying over time and yeah. they're getting all stressed out, got the pressures on them to deliver. So those are the sort of people you tend to help yeah, out. The other so people rewarding. who are kind of like the busy bodies, you know what I mean? That's basically their job. They're happy just to do copy, paste, yeah. click, click, click. Um, if you take that away, then they've got really nothing to offer that the organization. That was my job um, like when yeah. I was in finance. And then they started bringing in like automation. And I was like, yeah. I already don't have enough work. I was like... And, you know, those people don't shouldn't become redundant. Mm. They should be upskilled mm. and retrained to become more valuable for the organization. And do things that are actually important Quite and, right. like, need our human. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I don't think a human is built to just do copy and paste, whatever. No. You get, you get the get computer to do that, that, the automation to do that. What we need is humans to be interacting in business with their imagination, their creativity, mm. their consciousness, mm. offering that as their value contribution. Mm. Mm. I agree. Right. I'm not sure the guardies are going to, like, understand all the techie stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> We can push we'll, past that. We'll move on. Um, so the main thing I wanted to talk to you about was ayahuasca mm. um so please you tell me how you found out about ayahuasca and mm. where did your interest for doing a trip come from yeah so if people don't know ayahuasca is a um, oh, yeah, psychedelic brew uh, or tea that's made traditionally in the amazon rainforest south america it's been used for thousands of years already so it's nothing new uh, very uh, sacred and ancient culture around it and uh, it's made by a combination of an ayahuasca vine um, we found in the rainforest and this shrub leaf. I forget the name. You can Google search it. You'll find it instantly. Uh, I don't want to misquote it. Uh, but there's a leaf there and they mix them together. And scientists are astounded about how they figured this out, by the way, because mm. um, the psychoactive ingredient in ayahuasca is DMT, yeah. trimethyltryptamine, which is pretty powerful psychedelic. And uh, it's those shrub leaves that actually mm. contain the DMT. However, if you just to eat them, your stomach acid just dissolves the molecules, gets rid of it, it sort of breaks it down, oh, and it does not become yeah. active whatsoever. However, the combination of the ayahuasca vine and the leaves, they basically mash up the vine, crush it all up, mm. put the leaves in there in a big cauldron, fill it up with water, boil it all down, and mm. you're just left with this sort of um, concentrate at the mm. end. It's sort of almost like sludge at the end. And it's a mixture, and it creates a new chemical compound um, which I think is MEO-DMT or 5-MEO-DMT. Again, I don't want to misquote that. I'm not yeah. a scientist. <laughs> Look it up if you want to find the true chemical compound. But essentially, the ayahuasca vine contains a chemical that like shields the mm. DMT. And then when it goes through your stomach, your stomach acid can't break it down because it's mm. protected. But when it goes through into your, into your gut, into your intestines, then it's absorbed into your bloodstream mm. that way. And then you get the psychedelic So trip. the combination of those two is what creates the psycho psychoactive component yeah i didn't i thought that it was frog venom mm, so that's another form of dmt right yeah um and that's like bufo uh where that's where it's smoked yeah <laughs> like in their vapes yeah so yeah. they smoke dmt um however that is usually a very short trip yeah, it's about it's like 15, 15 20 minutes yeah. whatever it is and you're like instantly catapulted into this trip however ayahuasca is slightly different it still uses dmt however it's it's like an edible version yeah um, and the trip starts a lot slower, a lot more gradual, mm. but it lasts four to six hours. Mm. 
so it's a long time um so yeah it's just two different ways of interacting with mm. it yeah so how, how did you learn about ayahuasca faster so uh i found about psychedelic trips in general by actually just going away with a friend and uh he was chatting to me over dinner one time about how a mushroom retreat that he'd just done the previous year and how mind-blowing and life-altering that was for him uh, and i was like wow okay this sounds fascinating and uh, it got me intrigued and i started doing my own research into it and i found like a, a mushroom retreat facility in amsterdam mm. um, because you know mushrooms are legal over there it's all um, above board and stuff like that however just before i was going to action on that uh, i wanted to uh, go ahead and, and crack on with it COVID happened mm. Mm. shut everything down yeah. i'm not getting down there um so that kind of went away uh, to a side for a couple of years but then I think I actually went uh, on February this year. So it's kind of this time last year, I was looking into going into trips again. Mm. And I found a, a lovely retreat center. Um, and I was looking on there. I went through, you have to go for an interview. And I said, hey, yeah, I'm actually interested in going to psychedelic uh, psilocybin retreat, mm. magic mushroom one. Uh, and they said, have you ever thought of ayahuasca? I was like, oh, uh, no, what's that? And they're telling me about it. Mm. Um, and uh, I don't know. It's really weird. They offered it to me. I didn't know too much about it. I said, look, I'm going to go back and think about it. And uh, what I did is I sat with myself in the chair as soon as I concluded that call. And I just said to myself, is this a good move? This is a good move. I just repeated that. Kind of closed my eyes, took a big breath, went into myself a little bit. I felt this lovely warm feeling just emanating from my heart and my chest, spread across my whole body. I was like, oh, I think that's a yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, um, that was kind of the reassurance that I needed because it was a little bit scary, mm. honestly. You know, and you look online and it looks really intense mm. uh, and it is very intense. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what kind of urged me on mm. to do it. So I signed up and I uh, went down in February of this year. It was in Portugal, this lovely retreat center. Um, and we met lots of fascinating, lovely people down mm. there. So it was a lovely experience. So did they, so you said, I want to go and do a mushroom trip. And were they like, we think ayahuasca would be more beneficial for you? Like, was yeah, that Yeah, they just basically said, um, have you considered ayahuasca? And they uh, just proposed it to me. Mm. Um, I'm not necessarily too sure why they did that, but they did it. And perhaps yeah. it was meant to be, who mm. knows? So, like, mm. so how talk us through the retreat experience the integration setting how long it is mm. and i know ayahuasca you do a few ceremonies don't you that's right yeah, you do yeah. three ceremonies over the course of a week mm -hmm. um and so so what happened was i went over to portugal on the plane i was nervous mm. very very nervous because i had no idea what to expect mm. um you know i haven't really been deep into psychedelics a lot um and it's going to be my first proper experience so very nervous but when you go over there um they've got lovely uh calls where you meet all the people you're going to go with um you get to be familiar with them before you turn up so they're not strangers yeah. when you're there you go meet with all the facilitators they calm you down and reassure you mm. and you tell you about the process they're all fantastic angelic people they're mm. some of the most beautiful people i've ever met uh still to this day the facilitators of the retreat lovely lovely guys um but they say look before you come you've got to do two things one, you've got to follow what's called a dieta, uh, which is like a special diet, yeah. right? So for one whole month before I went, I had to follow a diet with no caffeine, no alcohol, no nicotine, um, no added substances, mm -hmm. 
like they said, you basically eat like no vitamin supplements at all. Um, no dairy, no meat. Oh my God, were you like dead by the time oh you got that? Oh my God, so, yeah. <laughs> I probably could have done it a little bit better. Uh, I was a bit malnourished, I think, because <laughs> I just didn't know what to eat. Uh, but the idea was just to cleanse yourself, you know, be yeah. as high vibrant as possible, be as pure as possible to allow the medicine mm. to work a little bit better. That's what they're telling me. Um, and also, you've got to set three intentions, right? So three reasons why you're going to be there. Um, you got to find out some answers um, for those intentions. Um, so those intentions were, uh, how can I find self-love? Because um, even though I've been coming on a bit of a spiritual journey over the last four or five years, um, I still have a negative self-talk. Mm. Uh, you know, probably experience yourself, I don't know. I imagine a lot of people do. Uh, they hear this voice in their head mm. that tells them they're not enough, they're not worthy, all that sort of stuff. And it was grinding me down. I was like, look, I need to find some way of just loving myself a little bit more. I was hoping that was going to illuminate that for me. Another intention was to find out my life's purpose or my just direction. Mm. I felt somewhat directionless. Uh, I had th good things going on in my life, but I was like, okay, well, where am I actually going to need to go nowadays? Uh, I just wanted some uh, insight into that. And also, I was with uh, my partner at the time, uh, now ex-partner, but I said, look, how can I best serve my partner? I want to be mm. there for them and, and, and give them the best in life. How can I be there truly for them? Mm. Um, and spoiler alert, find out that the best way that I could serve that person was to not be with them. <laughs> so that was a rather interesting revelation. Um, but ultimately, I think it's worked out for the best for both of us. Mm. Um, and I wish her all the very, very best, sincerely. Um, but then when we went to uh, Portugal, met with the people, fantastic receipt facility in the middle of nowhere, just mm. on top of this little like mountain area, um, no one for like kilometers around you, completely secluded, and there's a lovely setting. Um, you basically got all these lonely little room, little hammocks outside, you know, it's very relaxing, got a yoga studio, massage room, steam rooms, all that sort of stuff you can probably let go. They've got fantastic uh, vegan chefs that cooked all these meals for you, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Astounding foods. <laughs> Some of the best we've ever had. Um, lovely. And then all these people there that are just there paying you as much love and attention as, mm. as you could soak up, really. It was really mm. fantastic. Yeah. Um, so the, the group was actually only eight people um, as opposed to some others, which are like 20, 40 yeah. people, which is chaotic. Yeah. We, want that. <laughs> we went for a purpose. We went for a really small yeah. one um, because I felt a little bit more intimate. Yeah. You know, people could pay you some attention. Um, and there's three ceremonies, right? So uh, we had one, the first one on the second day. And um, yeah, oh, what an experience, bloody hell. I, I say to myself, honestly, if I knew how intense it was before I went, Mm. I probably wouldn't have done mm. it, if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> no, also, I think, like, what a lot a lot of people are put off by it because of, like, the shitting and throwing up. Like, mm -hmm. did, did you... Yeah. How, how was that? Yeah, so <laughs> that's a pretty gnarly part of the experience um, because there's an aspect called purging, Yeah. right? So when you drink the ayahuasca um, for the first maybe hour... Or, it was on my first ceremony for the first hour or two, um, I was in bits right uh it's just so cripplingly nauseous felt like my guts were being wrung out like a flannel um i was vomiting everywhere feeling absolutely atrocious yeah. had this like sort of flu feeling go over me while i was like oh, it was hot horrible. and sweaty and mm. clammy and shivering mm. and yawning and you know like I don't know, I wasn't crying, but all the yawning <laughs> was making me water up. Yeah. I was in absolute bits and they 
They don't know. So they put a bucket right yeah. next to your bed so yeah. you can be rich in this bucket. <sighs> Some other people were in absolute states, you know. Mm. Yeah, uh, they didn't get to the toilet in time. Maybe put it that way. Do you know what I mean? Poor souls. Um, but, you know, luckily I, I was just, you know, had the vomiting issue. Um, but the whole point of that is supposed to be cleansing. Do you know what I mean? It's supposed to be taking out all the impurities or toxins in your body, these negative energies that are stagnant mm. within mm. you. Uh, and that's part of the healing process. Yeah. You know, that's why these people for thousands of years have taken this medicine. Mm. Um, and I also, sorry, I feel mm. like for me, when you're saying that about like the flu and how you're feeling, to me, that seems like the medicine always takes you back to like a shell of yourself, like strips you back like mm-hmm. you're pretty much powerless mm-hmm. in that in that moment and yeah. it's almost like this is what you're gonna learn like fucking sit down and listen yes 100 like, percent. they t- they said comment um all the time it says you don't get what you want yeah you get what you need yeah um and that was very evident i was extremely humbled um and essentially yeah powerless and they say <laughs> Easy for them to say, I suppose. Like, surrender to it. Just let go to the experience. Like, what do you bloody mean? Let go to the experience. I am dying here. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> There's one point I was like, I might actually die. Yeah. You know I mean, what have I done to myself? Yeah. <laughs> like, please stop. I want to yeah. get off. Oh, like... my God. Yeah, it's like being on a roller coaster. Yeah. And you're like, I want to jump off now. I was like, well, hold on a minute. You're buckled in and you're in the middle of a ride. Yeah. You cannot get off. No. Do you know what I mean? There's no way of just pressing the stop button mm-hmm. once you're in there. Um, and I got to a point where I was basically on my hands and knees. I was pleading, I was like, please, please, please give me some mercy. Um, but ayahuasca is uh, is considered to be uh, an embodied spirit, a mm. conscious spirit, and they call it Grandmother Ayahuasca. Mm. And, um, you know, she is said to be uh, extremely wise. She's like the spirit of the rainforest. She's mm. uh, been around for a long time, also very loving and nurturing, mm. have that mother type of nature. Mm. But she's also given you a bit of a hard lesson um, in what you need to know and experience. Mm. So I had that pleading exercise, I pleading for her. And it was a wonderful experience where I just kind of felt this lovely warm light shine on me. And I felt the pain subside for a little moment. And I almost felt like this little wrap, like blanket wrap around me. And I was like, oh, wow. And it just felt like this little arm around my shoulder. I said, hey, don't worry about it. You know, we're going through a tough time. We need to do this work. We need to get all this stuff out of you, but don't worry about it. I'm here. And we just lied back. And I had this like little soothing. It just felt like a little stroke on my head. Mm. Um, it was wonderful. And mm. we tear up and get really emotional. But uh, at the time it did. And mm. uh, yeah, it was really reassuring. But after maybe about... 20 minutes of that I was like felt gradually dropped back into the experience like, okay right I've given you a little bit of respite but we're going back <laughs> in and we're going to do it again yeah and it's really weird because you you don't hear words yeah but you get this immediate intuitive knowing of what is trying to be said to you yeah Do you know I mean it's not like I was saying that hey Ben how are you doing today mate yeah I just got this xyz that we're mm. doing none of that you just immediately know the right like answer intuitive gut feeling almost. yeah exactly yeah. you know what's so going on i really don't know much about ayahuasca at all so do you have visual like uh hallucinations mm. and like how in control of your body are you like dead to the world out of your out of mm. your body experience mm. or are you conscious that you're in your body and like in the room yeah, it changed. It, it changed depending on the ceremony and it changed the person to person. It could be quite mm. a unique experience. Um, I had pretty heavy uh, visual hallucinations. Um, my body was pr- fairly incapacitated. I remember mm. one time 
after all the sickness subsided um, and I just wanted to stand up and go outside to get some fresh air. Mm. Uh, I felt like a newborn horse, mm. you know what I mean? It was like my legs were all wobbly. It's like, yeah. I can't even walk around. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to kind of just coordinate yourself a little bit. Um, yeah, these really big sort of snakeskin patterns going across the wall. Um, I felt like I was in a big dome at one point. Mm. Um, I was just like not here mm. um basically imagine like a three meter dome around you and i couldn't see anything outside of it um it was pretty uh, weird experience i could hear mm. everything and all the voices were like distorted and all that sort of stuff but i was basically like isolated on my mm. own i didn't know what was going on um at one point in time you know? mm. and some people like describe psychedelics as like 10 years of therapy in mm-hmm. like a couple of hours and yeah. like did your trip feel trips ceremonies did they feel like narrated like I don't know how to describe it but basically in some of my trips I've been it's been like this is why you behave like this because Mm. of this and it brings me back to something Mm. in my past and then I work through worked through that was did it feel narrated and did it feel like you were experiencing almost that amount of like therapy and like inner child healing and like just all of that in one or was it kind of sporadic yeah yeah um uh, i experienced a lot of wisdom a lot of insight mm. during the ceremonies the days after the weeks after mm. the months after mm. and still to this day honestly mate um they say that you know sometimes you don't get the answers immediately mm. uh, but you know you'll get a realization of what's happened a little bit later on mm. and that's also happened um but yeah sometimes during the ceremonies for example i have my three intentions um, one of them was being uh, knowing about how to love myself more and after that purging aspect happened on the second ceremony I was sat there and I was just beaming beaming with positive light and I essentially felt like every cell in my body was just glowing with pure sunlight golden mm-hmm. light I was just in ecstasy mate. I was like wow you know I mean? so this beautiful. is amazing and I was like I had this little internal dialogue in my head mm-hmm. between myself and what I considered to be ayahuasca and I said, wow, what is this? And it's like, again, it's intuitive feelings. Like this is, this is self-love. This is pure love. This is energy yeah. going, love energy going through your body. And I was like, wow, wow, wow. I was like, can I have this? And it's like, well, I can't give it to you because it's already yours. I mean, this power is already within you. Mm. You've just got to learn to let it shine through mm. you yourself mm. and clear down the blockages, clear down the negative conditioning that you've had in your past mm. because that's essentially like a wall or like a, like a iron sort of like cast you've got around your heart yeah because you know you, you protect yourself because yeah. you're, you're scared or you're you're nervous or whatever it is and you feel secure by holding yourself together but really by letting go and letting that guard drop and let everything flow through can this light beam through you mm. and you can truly experience the the power of love yeah that was beautiful um i talked about my masculinity a little bit as well and uh i was uh i went for after having that persian the first time i went outside and uh, I was with uh, a lady that was out there and she looked into my eyes and we just looked at each other like, yeah, 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 this is intense, yeah. <laughs> so we walked down some down the little street um, to find a bench and we just mm. sat out in the moonlight, had a little bit of chat and there's a couple of other women down there, um, one of the facilitators as well, she's a lovely lady. And um, effectively I went and sat down with the bench with all these ladies and I was just chatting away, just having a normal chat. Mm. Um, but I lost myself a little bit and honestly there was one moment in time where I thought I was just like one of the women there 
you know what I mean? I couldn't mm-hmm. see the like a little girl. One of the <laughs> yeah, one of the girlies sitting on the bench just having a chat about yeah. all these different stuff and it felt great and I was having a good time. <laughs> I was laughing, all that sort of stuff. And then I just had this realization like, oh, hold on a minute, I'm, I'm a guy. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, but I had this lovely intuitive feeling that um, to re-embrace the feminine nature mm-hmm. um, of my own being a little bit because... You know, being too macho all the time, you just become so stern and solid. And, you know, those are good qualities to be able to push mm. you throughout that hole that I needed to talk about before. But also, if you're missing that feminine side, you're missing something so beautiful and loving and nurturing and warming mm. and all that sort of stuff. And fun as well, mm. do you know what I mean? That's like letting go and just yeah. being a bit more free and stuff yeah. like that. There's a nice balance that needs to be struck. And I was just given that experience of this freedom and, and uh, free flow and energy uh, with all those women that are there. And uh, they really showed me the power of that feminine energy that needs to be reintroduced to my life. Mm. And what, what would you say to someone if they feel like they're, I mean, personally, I think there's like a beautiful balance in everyone of feminine and masculine energy. What would you say to someone who feels like their masculine energy takes them like, overwhelms them all their feminine energy and what would you say to someone who's struggling to find the beautiful harmony between the two Mm. yeah great question i mean i would just say hmm. go and do ayahuasca (laughs) (laughs) um let me consider that for a moment so a good way to to consider that is this is kind of a let your guard down a little bit. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, just not really care too much about what other think people think about you necessarily. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. If I'm honest to you, okay. I don't know. It's a hard question. Yeah, and no. I don't think I've <laughs> actually got a full in-depth yeah. answer for that one. Yeah, I wouldn't know either. I think mm. it's a really interesting like subject. And like, I feel like with all the gender politics nowadays, like it can be a bit of like a, I don't know, like controversial or like thing to say that we all have masculine and feminine energy. But I think as I like grow and like see people, like it's so clear to me about how people have this balance and even like within relationships, Mm. how that balance can impact on relationships and like how I think there's definitely a conversation that I want to have on here about like healthy masculinity Mm -hmm. and that's definitely coming like how how can people how can men be masculine and providing and protective but not dominating Mm. and not patriarchal and how can that tie into the wider society yeah 100 percent. yeah i I love talking about that Mm. um okay so how do you think that your ayahuasca experience kind of how did that shape your daily life after? I know for me, when I did my first trip, I felt literally like a newborn baby. Like I was seeing everything for the first time mm. with this newfound wisdom, with these new eyes. I was just like, the world is the most beautiful place ever and everyone's mm. so beautiful. Mm. And how mm. did that influence your daily life after? And how did you kind of integrate back into normal life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, it, it does reawaken you somewhat to this the uh, magical part of life a little bit. And uh, it's allowed me to feel uh, my intuition a lot more. Um, I've always got this inner guide inside of me. I can mm. just kind of go inside and listen to that. And it gives mm. me the direction that I need to follow. And it's allowed me to feel um, the energy of spirit more through my body, uh, more 
than I ever have done before. Mm. It's reawakened that sort of conscious experience of uh, the energy flowing through me. And especially when I go into my deep meditation, I can feel that and I can mm. work with it now. Um, so that's kind of been a massive plus in my life. And, you know, we are energetic beings having a human experience, not mm. humans having a mm. spiritual experience, right? Mm. <laughs> it's the other way around. Yeah. And I've gone deeper into that realization and how to work with that energy um, and how to utilize it. Mm. Uh, because, you know, you can bring yourself down, but if you're conscious of the energy currents going through, you can bring it up. I can enliven myself a little bit and the engagements I have with people, I can liven them up as well. I can yeah. charge them up. Yeah. I can share that energy if I know mm. that I've got it. Mm. Um, and that's really what has allowed me to understand and work with going forward. So integrating that into my life, um, I've had to sort of deepen my spiritual practices uh, and just start to feel that you know, mm. and um, start to work with it a little bit more. And that's kind of given me that insight. Mm. Um, but However, I feel it only ethical to provide a bit of a disclaimer here yeah. on the podcast because I know we're talking about psychedelics and psychedelic retreats and all that sort of stuff, but it is extremely powerful substances. I mean, mm. to be super careful when you interact with them because they can yeah. be equally be rather dangerous if it is in the wrong mm. mindset, yeah. in the wrong setting, um, as equal as it can be, rather glorious and beautiful yeah. at the same time and rather Absolutely, healing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do your research, be extremely yeah. We're careful. We're not professionals, we are not, not advising. Please do not take ayahuasca uh, yeah. or psychedelics based upon this podcast because <laughs> we're just chatting about the experiences. Do your research. Anecdotally, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, similar to what we were talking about with fitness, mm. with this spiritual journey and with psychedelics at what point do we say this is we've done enough learning we've done enough healing we've been to enough ceremonies we've sat sat with these plant medicines we've learned everything we can about ourselves do you think there comes a point where we just accept or i i don't think it's not necessarily not accepting but i personally feel like i'm just on a constant like i'm always mm. learning things i'm always mm growing and changing and thinking like oh that's why I have this behavior this is why I react to things like that at what point am I just like this is my personality what, what are your thoughts on mm. that yeah great question and I don't know I think I'm still learning mm. I haven't found the answer to that question mm. just yet um, however the more that I find out about myself the more peace and acceptance I come to who I really mm. am and I think there are components that are perhaps your personality mm. um but it's hard line blurred line mm. right between what's your personality and what's your conditioning and mm. um, what you've been brought up to believe and what how you act and stuff like that or, and actually what is authentically and truly yeah. how you behave and what gives you joy and all that sort of stuff and the distinction between the two is what do you do what behaviors do you have uh that do not make you feel good yeah however what behaviors do you have that bring you joy and mm. and and, and love into your life mm. and light into your life all that sort of stuff i think those are more of your true authentic qualities and mm. perhaps your personality uh whereas other stuff where you're just doing it because i don't know sometimes you don't know sometimes yeah. it's just being brought into you for example um some people might uh, get involved in smoking mm. um and they know it's not good for them mm. um i don't know that's a personality trait uh, it's kind of a bit of a habit and a condition right um, they're doing something that's a little bit more destructive for them. i don't know is it that's debatable because like there are certain personality traits that would make someone more inclined to smoke or vape or mm. because I know that 
like for me when I've spoken to a therapist she was like oh yeah because you've got like some ADHD tendencies yeah. you feel like you need to get up from your seat you feel like you need to have a hand and oral fixation yeah, yeah, like yeah. so like I would say that even these behaviors and habits that we pick up all the same with kind of people who have like um I feel like ADHD is like more genetic than maybe some other because it's a neurodiversity so like people with ADHD they their dopamine receptors are like shot so you're always looking for some short-term mm. dopamine and mm. that's so hard in like mm. a society where you're like I know that this is bad for me this is what's making me feel good at this moment it's the social media it's the vaping it's the yeah, sweet yeah. food it's sex yes. it's like all these or porn it's like these small mm -hmm dopamine fixes yeah, little hits. and it's like that's what's making you like happy in that moment but i think it's like trying to learn the behaviors that are like long-term dopamine mm. so I, I personally would say that it is to do with your person those kind of habits are mm. not just like a habit that you fall into i think you can be pre predisposed to yeah yeah those things. that's a great perspective yeah i've considered it how do you think that your psychedelic experience influenced your career and kind of professional life yeah i mean i think it's broader than the psychedelic experience itself it's just my whole spiritual journey which uh the psychedelic experience i've been a big part of uh, has helped out my career in uh, a massive way because once you come to the understanding that you know you're an energetic being in this human body as opposed to the other way around and then you feel i well i feel a hell of a lot more confident do you know what i mean mm. because you know that you can't really um go away do you know what mm. i mean there's no uh technical no death essentially for your for your being mm. so um that gives me a lot of confidence and reassurance that i can kind of just crack on and uh live my best life do you know what i mean it's not mm. the first time uh on my only time around uh i believe in uh you know uh, different lives, all that sort of stuff, mm. so that I want to make sure that this one is the, the best I can possibly be. Do you know mm. what I think if you only consider yourself to be in this one life and mm. you're dying and that's it, you're going to oblivion, um, then you're like, well, I'm going to be super reserved and cautious. Oh, don't mm. take that risk. What if mm. I die? Do you know what I mean? What if I cripple myself here? What if I do? You know, it's I kind of very reclusive for myself mm. at least, but coming to the understanding that that is not the case, then I can just be expressive as I want. Yeah. And it's helped dramatically because I used to be such a reclusive, closed-in person. Mm. But now I'm a, I'm a public speaker. I do presentations. I do, I do events. Podcasts. I do podcasts. Hello. I do YouTube <laughs> videos. All that sort of stuff, right? And that's come from my spiritual understanding and embody that into myself. Mm. Um, and it's allowed me to just portray my um, most authentic and exuberant image that mm. I could possibly do. And uh, that has given me uh, access to a world of different opportunities in my career because people take notes of that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes I'm delivering uh, presentations or speeches on, you could argue, some rather dry subject matter, data and AI. Do you know what I mean? Some people are like, oh yeah, whatever, mate, you're talking about all this technology or whatever. But people report, I said, wow, that, that, that uh, presentation was mm. entertaining. That was mm. fascinating. I couldn't take my eyes off you. I'm like, what's going on? It's because I'm just jumping around all mm. over the stage doing stuff that other people might not necessarily want to do because they consider it a little bit wacky uh, or a little bit out there. Do you know what I mean? I can run around the stage, jump around, point at people, get really energetic. Yeah. And that kind of throws people. Like, Whoa, bloody hell, my normal presenter mm. would be like, 
So this is uh, Alteryx and Data AI software. We're going to be demonstrating <laughs> to you. Or it could be, hey, this is Alteryx Data and AI software. <laughs> hey, Paul, how you doing, mate? Yeah, all right. We're going to be doing this, this, and that. Do you know, this? Whoa, where that energy comes from? Yeah. That's coming from within, and I'm just bouncing that out, mm. portraying that out. And I think people resonate with that. They mm. feel that, that that energy you're giving off, mm. and it kind of hits them like, wow, okay, I feel charged up mm. a little bit now because I'm spectating this, um, and it makes them more engaged. And that's actually yeah. allowed me to do a lot of different things in my work and uh, open up a lot of different avenues yeah. for sure and that like kind of dynamic or uplifting energy that you put out and like I've seen it when I did the course I was like whoa it's yeah. <laughs> in the morning like. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like um when you're putting that energy out does that take anything from yourself mm. I think for me mm. like doing that I'm like I'm tired you know what I mean like yeah. put, putting energy out in the world is tiring and does does that take from your own like energy and life source yeah I mean you're a bit of a, a, bit of a battery in my mm. experience and I you know give out all this positive energy try my very best to deliver good quality uh content to people and have a good experience but you're right at the end of the day I am shattered mm. right because I'm just depleting everything I got but don't worry about it what I do is I go back home and I just go back into myself, close the door, oh, a little bit of a breath, mm. come back into a bit of a nice stilling meditation, some breathing, whatever it might be. I can bring myself back to here and now into the center. And that's where I charge myself up. Mm. It's like plugging myself into the wall. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And I just charge the battery back up after a little moment of like that and I feel uh, rejuvenated. Then you're ready to go again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was going to ask you, how do you recharge? And then we could go into your like spiritual practices if there's mm. anything that you wanted to talk about that what you do that you feel like helps you recharge or f helps you feel good <laughs> i don't know yeah. for lack of a better word <laughs> yeah 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 um so meditation is one of the key things that i do um and that is a phrase that's chucked around all the time yeah. right it's like yeah whatever meditation some people, if i turn if i say that word meditation some people just turned off instantly yeah, right now they literally. listen to that like, yeah whatever i know i say that again. i'm like meditating everyone's like shut up oh, i don't God. want to sit for 10 minutes yeah, stop yeah. telling me to breathe like <laughs> but you know don't call it meditation do you know what i mean um it is essentially just going in closing your eyes and just shutting off from the world a little bit um, and that's effectively what it is, right? And there's a variety of different ways that I can use props to help myself, right? Because sometimes you probably notice, right? You close your eyes and you say, well, I'm gonna do my meditation now. I'm gonna be here for like 10 minutes, right? Uh, close my eyes, it's all black inside. And I sit there, do my breathing. And then you're like, oh. one minute in, it's like, oh, fucking hell, I'm bored. Uh, oh, my back hurts. Like, oh, what am I doing? Am I doing this right? Do I... There's a voice inside your head. Have you heard it? Mm -hmm. It goes on and on and on. It's restless <laughs> and does not shut up, right? It doesn't mm. give you a break, right? True meditation is where mm. that voice stops and there's the pure silence and this mm. peace that you feel. Uh, but it takes some work to get there. Yeah. Um, but there's some things I can do to help out because initially that's what put people off. Mm. They can't even sit for one minute. No. That sounds easy, right? Yeah. Sit down for 10 minutes. No. <laughs> try it sit down for 10 minutes close your eyes and just try and sit there for as still as possible it's gonna be hard mm. right if you're not conditioned yourself to try and do that sort of stuff so a couple of things i, I recommend is one i use binaural beats mm. you've heard of that yeah, so effectively, if anyone hasn't heard it, it's binaural beats is where it's binaural because it's on either side. It's got two, you know, um, it goes into each ear. It's a different frequency, right? Um, and there's specific frequencies that match brainwave uh, lengths. So you've got delta brainwave length, which is for sleeping. You've got theta, beta, 
alpha and gamma right go up in, in intensity so gamma you're like wired delta you're asleep but the meditative wavelength for your brain is theta right that's mm. the best one because it's between uh, sleeping and wakefulness it's that hovers just between the two and what you can do is use binaural beats on a theta wavelength and that allows your brain to still and calm mm -hmm. down and get into that really nice mm -hmm. meditative state that you need to be in in order to relax. It's almost um, like that to me, what I start to think about there is between the wakeful and sleeping point is it's kind of that liminal space. Yeah. And I feel like the liminal space is between thoughts and meditation is like similar. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That's yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And um, I find that that, that wavelength helps you just get to that space mm. a lot easier mm. um, than without it. Um, and, and secondly, it's all about your breath, mm. right? Your breath, your heart rate, and your mind are intertwined, no pun intended. Um, so the slower your breath, mm. the slower your heart, mm. the slower your mind, yeah. would you believe? Um, try it out for yourself. There's a really interesting exercise that you can do. It's called box breathing. Yeah. Perhaps you heard of that. Um, and essentially where you breathe in, let's say for 10 seconds, right? So nice and slow in breath for 10 seconds. You're going to hold it for 10 seconds. You're going to let it out really slowly for 10 seconds. And you're going to hold it again at the bottom for 10 seconds. If you draw that on a bit of paper, it's like a square, mm -hmm. right? That's why it's called box breathing. And you slow that breath right down in turn, mm -hmm. slowing your heart rate right down, and in turn, slowing your mind mm -hmm. right down. And if you do that coupled with some theta, theta um, binaural beats, then that is a, mm -hmm. what assists me personally mm -hmm. in getting into that meditative state mm -hmm. a lot easier and just kind of be able to shut yourself off from the world. And essentially what you're gonna do is I practice something called the void, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is where I put on my noise canceling headphones with the binaural beats, I do my box breathing and then I put on an eye mask, mm -hmm. right? And it's called the void because I can't hear or see anything. I'm in a black hole, right? Mm -hmm. And then I just calm myself right down and essentially just block everything out from the outside, right? What I'm going to have for dinner later, mm -hmm. don't care about it. <laughs> what happened today, don't care about it. What happened last year, don't care about it. What am I going to do for work tomorrow, don't care about anything. Mm -hmm. right? I'm dropping all the baggage, right? Mm -hmm. It's like I'm walking around with all my shopping bags. Oh, God, this is really heavy. Let go. Right, we'll pick mm -hmm. them up later. Right, we've got ten minutes to go. Right, I'll yeah. pick them up in ten minutes' time. But for now, I'm dropping everything. Nothing else exists mm. from this black hole apart from what I'm experiencing right now, and that allows me to drop everything. And once I've let that guard down, once I've let all that tension out of my mm. body, that's when I can allow the energy to flow back into myself. As I plug it into the wall, yeah. and I charge myself right back up again. Any other spiritual practices that you want to share? <laughs> there was uh, one key takeaway I wanted to share yeah. uh, with everyone, and that is about the uh, power of affirmations. Mm. You've heard of that? Yeah. Yeah, affirmations. People will hear about it all the time where, you know, it's, uh, I am happy, healthy, and wealthy. I am happy, I'm wealthy. Do you know what I mean? You just mm. repeat like a phrase over and over to mm. yourself to affirm that is true mm. in your reality. And it works mm. for me, but not like that. Mm. Right, so what I wanted to share is a couple of different things. One is what is the power of affirmation, how to actually make it work, mm. and then two is you're affirming stuff to yourself all the time, mm. and you've got to be careful about what yeah. you're saying. So number one is the power of an affirmation is not in the words. 
not in the words. You can say whatever you want. It is the emotive feeling underlying the words that's actually the power, the magnetic power that draws to you what you're mm. trying to affirm into your own reality. Um, so the words are simply a catalyst, mm. right? It enables, sometimes you repeat those words and it spurs on the feeling, but you can affirm things to yourself without any words. Mm. If you really, if you wanted to do that and you had the ability to do that. Um, so it's really in the words. But however, you've got to make sure that you believe it, right? Consciously, but also subconsciously, yeah. right? So um, for example, I've been in the last few months, I've been experiencing some uh, uh, stomach issues, mm. right? And I've been uh, in a bit of a bad way. I've mm. been really hurting. Um, however, I tried to utilize the power of affirmations to try mm. and help myself out a little bit. Mm. And I was like, okay. I'm going to affirm to myself, oh, I'm in perfect health. I'm in perfect health. Perfect health. And my subconscious mind is like, no, you're fucking not. <laughs> <laughs> you're joking. Um, and, you know, there wasn't any congruency or agreement mm. between what I was trying to affirm and what my subconscious mm. knew to be true. Uh, and I was explaining this to one of my really good friends, Ollie. Um, big up, Ollie, if you're listening. And uh, he said, hey, hold on a minute. Well, you need to change your affirmation here, right? Mm. You don't want to affirm that you're in perfect health because, you know, that's not true, yeah. right? You're going to be laughing at yourself in your subconscious, man. Um, so he says, look, try this one out for size. Every single day, I'm getting better and better. Every single day, I'm coming to more and more peace. Mm. And that is something I could get behind mm. because I'm not saying that I'm instantly healed. Mm. I'm saying every single day, I'm taking one step between yeah. getting to where I want to mm -hmm. go. And that helped drastically. That. And then my yeah. subconscious mind was like, okay, I can get behind yeah. that. That makes more sense. Mm. And there was an agreement in myself that actually that felt good. And when mm. that agreement comes together, then that power, that emotive feeling mm. really makes the affirmation work. And like the link between our minds and our bodies is so intertwined. Oh my and God. it's something that like, I don't think Western medicine really takes into consideration. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is the fact that people might have this narrative in their head like, when I eat this thing, my stomach gets upset. And it's like, well, why does that only happen on Mondays when you've got like a work presentation or something? It's yeah. like, no, that's to do with the anxiety. It's not to do with mm. the food that you're eating. And I think it's such an interesting link there between the words that we say to ourselves and how our body then reacts to that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And uh, yeah, you gotta be careful what you say to yourself uh, at the end of the day, because mm. People are affirming things to themselves all the time, mm -hmm. right? And I know from my conditioning um, and upbringing, I've had these thoughts recur in my head that say, um, I catch them now. It's very sneaky mm -hmm. because it comes in your own voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's masquerading as you. And I say that because it's not you, mm. right? Those thoughts are not you. They're not mm. your identity. However, you can identify with them mm. if you so choose. And some people unconsciously do so because mm. they don't know what's going on, mm. right? And those thoughts would say, you're worthless, you're ugly, you're no good, you're a waste of space, all this sort of stuff mm. would come cropping up in my head because those have been on my experiences and what I thought of myself when I was younger. Mm. And uh, however, you affirm that is if you attach yourself to that thought, right? So if, you, if that thought comes into your head, you recognize it and then you attach to it and you say, oh yeah, I am. I am ugly, mm. I am not worthy. Mm. Or you start arguing with it. You say, shut up. You know, oh, don't, yeah. don't. You're just adding fuel to the fire, mm. right? And that is actually empowering that thought. Mm. And actually, there's a good phrase that I learned. It says, what you resist persists. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If you're holding on to that thought and you want it to go away, you think you're trying to push it away, but what actually mm. you're doing is you're holding it within your consciousness and you're bringing it to you effectively. Yeah. Do you think there's a, a danger when we talk about like affirmations and stuff? I've definitely 
not so much now. I don't really know why, but in the past, I've been thinking about like this manifestation and affirmations and stuff. And I catch myself having a negative thought and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I can't be thinking that. And then mm. I stress myself out. Mm. And then maybe I'll be thinking like, oh, like the funds aren't looking good. Like the bank account's looking low. And I'm like, oh no, I can't even think about that. And it's like, you can get yourself in like mm -hmm. a bit of a toxic yeah. positivity cycle almost. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're constantly almost like being a bit detached from reality in the present moment mm -hmm. because you're like, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's something called spiritual bypassing where you essentially just almost neglect all of that mm. work that needs to be done and just say, no, I'm, I'm beaming, I'm happy, I'm happy. He's mm. like, hold on a minute, okay. It's like saying that I'm in perfect health. It's like, okay, that's not necessarily yeah. true. You know, you've got to take the little baby steps and go through, but also recognizing that even though those thoughts are coming through, um, you recognize them and you accept them that being there, but you just don't cling on to them, right? Don't, don't have they, the attachment. Yeah, and, and that's... And the emotion that comes alongside with yeah them. exactly yeah. because that's that emotional state that you feel when you mm. clutch those thoughts is the power of the affirmation that you're giving mm. to yourself and again it can draw those negative experiences to you equally as the mm. positive ones and so affirmations you work in both ways right? yeah um and over time what i'm doing is i'm recognizing those negative thoughts not giving them as much power as I can. I don't want to put any power into them. Mm. Sometimes I get a little bit loose on that. I kind of uh, reattach them. It's hard, mm. right? It gets slip up every time. I'm no yoga master, but don't worry about it. I'm trying my best. Um, but then over time, I'm reaffirming what I want to put in there. Right? Mm. Because all these thoughts are cropping up. They were not my choice to put in there. Right? There's yeah. some in my past. That's what I've, I've learned. That's what's been told to me. That's what's been conditioned. However, through the act of not associating myself with those thoughts as they come up now and then putting in the thoughts that I want, mm. I'm now choosing my own um, subconscious uh, conditioning. And over time, I'm confident that those positive affirmations are going to be starting to outweigh the negative ones within my subconscious. And uh, I think it takes a bit of time to mm. do. Yeah, and um, a bit of patience uh, and a bit of self-love throughout that journey and that experience as well because it can mm. take a little while. Mm. Yeah, I just have got one more question that I just thought of. So, um, after like your ayahuasca trip, like I think you kind of come out of it and you're like, I can't believe that other people don't like haven't done this or mm. don't or don't know this. How do you relate to people who are so conserved and so? deeply unspiritual like how mm -hmm. because i think there is a danger with these kind of things that you yes we want to surround ourselves with the amazing amazing beautiful people but you can get to a point where like i saw this quote the other day that was like have i actually healed or have i just isolated myself from anything that triggers mm. me mm, wow yeah and it was so profound for me i was just like fuck like have i just not <sighs> put myself out of my comfort zone have i just not interacted with people who i know or maybe toxic or not great for me so how have you kind of overcome that in the past year or how have you thought about that about interacting with people mm. who are not so spiritual mm. um i think ultimately on a higher level everyone's chosen their experience down here mm. um and you know, if people are not spiritual, that doesn't affect me whatsoever. No. Um, I don't think of them any differently mm. than judge them for yeah. that. Um, you know, that's called uh, like spiritual ego, yeah. effectively. When you say, like, "Oh well, I'm spiritual," I'm better. I'm enlightened. Therefore, yeah, I know more. That <laughs> no, is not yeah, true absolutely. spirituality. Um, you know, uh, so no, that doesn't affect me. Um, but I understand everyone has picked their own path here. 
and I believe at a higher level you know your higher self has put you into this experience that you're having right now mm. um, and if your experience needs to be that you don't have a spiritual understanding in this time around this lifetime this experience then so be it you know mm. that's actually going to provide you with the experiences that you need um, to in order to come to the understanding that you want to have at the end so mm. yeah maybe they have a higher place chosen not to have that happen to them I love who that. knows lovely have you got anything you want to promote <laughs> um well i mean i've got my own youtube channel uh continuum youtube channel uh you can find it on there if you want to have a look at that but that's more for my data and ai type (laughs) of stuff so if you only if you're interested in that i suppose but no not really i just want to promote the uh diary of the dropout podcast mate i think it's fantastic i'm a good avid listener of it and i just wish you all the best with that thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything my pleasure thank Thank you you. (laughs) okay Thank you so, so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Naomi Be Healing and please follow and rate the show whilst you're here and let me know if you enjoyed the interview style. I personally loved interviewing Ben and I feel so grateful that we had such a wonderful conversation and I feel really, really proud of it. So thank you so much again and goodbye.